When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What's up, guys? We are back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage. As always, I'm your host, Justin Michael, and today's guest was terrific. Derek Stevens, he played at Colorado State in the 2002-2003 and 2003-2004 seasons under Dale Layer. He's a guy that went on to have a really nice professional career overseas, almost made it into the NBA, and, and we actually broke into to all of that and, and what kind of happened during his Colorado State career. Despite being a part of the only Mountain West championship winning basketball team in, in program history, obviously the, the 2003 group that, that won the tournament out in Vegas, you may not know his name. And, and that's kind of because, you know, Coach Layer didn't play him as, as much as he should. And so we talked about that and his relationship with Michael Morris and his professional career and you know, what it took for that 2003 group to ultimately win the Mountain West Tournament. That's pretty timely with that coming up just around the corner. And then we, you know, kind of talked about the the TBT team. He is going to be the head coach of the alumni group, the CSU alumni group, and they're going to be Team Ram Up. You can follow them at RamUpTBT on Twitter and Instagram. The more social media followers they have, the Better it, it kind of helps their chances of ultimately getting to compete in the event. You know, it's kind of a a glamour contest to to get in. There's some politics involved. But we talked about the roster and, and kind of how that came to be, how this whole thing came together, what the, the process is gonna gonna look like. It was just a really fun conversation from from start to finish. And I don't want to spoil it all, but I really enjoyed, you know, just kind of hearing about his career and and how it all played out and, you know, how close he was to, to playing in the NBA. And, you know, if a, a couple of things had gone differently, it might've happened, but I was just really appreciative of him to, to give me all this time one. And it was great to hear about, you know, the old CSU teams and get his perspective on this new team and, you know, why he wanted to, to participate in TBT and, and, you know, why he's coaching this group. I know you guys are all dying. So I will go through some of the roster. It includes Emmanuel Amagbo, Andy Ogade, Che Bob, J.J. Avila, Prentice Nixon, Jeremiah Page, Chris Martin, and then a couple of non-CSU guys, including Javante Douglas, uh, John Dawson, who's currently in the G League, and Bryant Austin, who is currently playing in Hong Kong. There were a couple of other guys that they talked to and potentially will be on the, the team in the future, and, and you can listen to the whole podcast and get all the inside info on you know, if there's certain names, you're probably thinking, you know, why aren't they in it? You know, we talked about a lot of them. It, it was just a really great podcast. And 
I know you guys are going to enjoy it a little bit longer than I typically do, but it's well worth it. Before we get into that, something to keep in mind for our homeowners with prices going up, it's creating natural equity in your home. If you have mortgage insurance, chances are you can refinance out of that and make the bubble work for you. If you're in the buyer's market, you know how stressful trying to buy a house is right now. If you've attempted this process, you know exactly what I'm talking about, especially in Colorado. It's just, it's an absurd housing market out here. And that's why you want to work with my friends, Mike and Virginia Chevalier, because they're going to take the burden off this extremely difficult process. They're going to alleviate some of that stress and just take some of the worry off your plate. They have a fun perk for DNVR listeners. If you go to dnvrmortgage.com, you can enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat. Most importantly, get set up with a free consultation to discuss all your options. That's dnvrmortgage.com. As mortgage brokers, they're able to shop over a dozen lenders with many products to find the right fit for you. They want their borrowers to know who they're working with and not feel bounced around. They take the time to help their borrowers be as informed as they want every step of the way. And Mike and Virginia will take the burden off folks so they can focus on their home being a home, not just a house. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com. Enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat. Most importantly, get set up with that free consultation. You can also call Mike directly at 970-412-2472. That's 970-412-2472. Or again, go to dnvrmortgage.com. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. All right, joining me on the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage, we've got a special guest, Derek Stevens, Colorado State alumni, former professional basketball player, coach, scout, now currently going to coach the Ram Up team, a group of Colorado State alumni who will be participating in the basketball tournament, aka TBT this summer. Really, really exciting stuff. Derek, how's it going, man? It's going good. How about yourself? How you doing? Doing good, you know, just excited, obviously, watching this this CSU basketball team. They're on a they're on a crazy run. And and I'm gonna ask you some stuff about your CSU background, but I, I saw on Twitter a couple weeks back you had a chance to watch this team in Albuquerque, where you are currently based. You mm-hmm. know, what kind of stood out the most to you about this team? Well, I mean, one of the biggest things is that they play together and they play really hard. And all of them, you know, seem to love winning. You know, they have a winning spirit about the team. Uh, of course, the guys that are the leaders, you know, do a good job of, of leading the group and providing, you know, that that kind of energy to the team. So they're, they're good to watch, fun to watch. I, I thoroughly enjoy them, actually. What are your thoughts on Isaiah Stevens specifically as a point guard? Um, I, I have a second question that kind of comes off of this based on a, a conversation I had with Michael Morris a couple of years back, but I'm just mm-hmm. curious kind of as a, as a point guard extraordinaire, you know, what are your thoughts on him? Because to me, he seems really rare for, for a guy at this level to, to be able to facilitate and, and score and create and then defend as well. Yes. And, and those are the things that I look at as well as, you know, low turnover rate, you know, he doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Um, he's all his demeanor. Always look at body language. He has great body language, demeanor, the way he carries himself, you know, when he's speaking to the players and how they listen to him. You know, those are the small things or tidbits as a point guard that I right away, you know, look at as I, you know, survey another player, uh, another counterpart who's doing it, trying to see if he has the it factor, 
as far as being the point guard. To me, as far as being the point guard, the it factor is how you get everybody to listen to you. You know, how you control the court, how you dominate, are guys paying attention to you when you talk? And for him, his uh, his demeanor is great, man. Body language is great. You know, he has all three skills as far as scoring at the basket, mid-range games, shooting from three. But the way he controls the game, you know, I love it. Mm-hmm. Would you as a player, would you have enjoyed playing in this offense? Because when I talked to Michael Morris two years ago, he told me, and and I can I can play the auto, audio for you back. He's like, you know, if Derek Stevens would have gotten an opportunity to run the show, like a guy like Isaiah Stevens, he would have been a first team all mountain West guy. He just never really got the opportunity at the collegiate level. Do you agree with one that you didn't really get the opportunity (laughs) to shine? And, and two, you know, would you have translated well, especially in this modern game, man, you know, we have these conversations literally all the time, you know, um, as far as myself goes, Michael and other players that was on the team and, um, it's, of course you want to toot your own horn and say, yes, of course, <laughs> you know, but, you know, humbly speaking, you know, I, I really do think if I had more freedom, more opportunity, we played in a different system. Um, I would have did a lot better, you know, just my take on it, you know, because I also had similar things that I just mentioned about Isaiah, you know, being a three level scorer, um, you know, someone who could dominate from a strength perspective. My biggest thing is that I was stronger than most guards. You know, so I could dominate most guards that were my size. You know, they would always have to put a taller guy on me, you know, per se, to slow me down. So um, in this in this era, the way the game is played today, the freedom they have to just come down and go ball screen when they want, ISO when they want, attack when they want, you know, I, I think I'll do pretty good. Well, that was a, it was a humble response. But Michael, who obviously played with some pretty talented guys, yeah. <laughs> he's this is a direct quote. So you are the best operator out of the pick and roll that he's ever, you know, consistently seen in person. And so when I heard that, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I I was really young when you guys made your run and then, you know, 2002, 2003, I was eight years old when you guys won the mountain West. I do remember it. And I remember watching the Duke game and the NCAA tournament and all that, but you know, Mike had such high praise for you. And so then I went back and I looked back at the numbers and I was like, man, he really didn't get an opportunity to shine. And he's like, I'm telling you, if he would have gotten that opportunity, this guy would have balled out because in practice, you know, he was serving as on the scout team as the opposing team's best players. Uh, he mentioned um, Marcus Banks, obviously the UNLV guy. He's like, he's serving as Marcus Banks in practice, killing me, killing everybody on the floor. And I'm sitting here thinking, if he's our Marcus Banks, why isn't he playing? <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, it's hard because, you know, um, it was up and down with me and Coach Lair, you know, during my time there. And that kind of added into it. um, Me coming into a system where, you know, we had already had established guys like Brian. uh, Nelly was there, you know, a seven footer. And Andy, you know, those are four year guys, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and we it was my first time not being kind of the alpha. You know, and it wasn't because I was not that. It was because of the coach's requirement for everybody in their roles. Yeah. Um, And it was hard for me to accept because I felt like if I could have done more, you know, we could have won more. Obviously, we managed to figure it out at the end um, and become champions, which was me going home one night and just having a conversation with myself and saying, hey, either you're going to accept the role for your teammates 
or are you going to keep on bumping heads with coach? And then we go home with no championship or anything. So I, I refused to do that. I was like, we have to leave with something. You know? <laughs> and so I bit the bullet and uh, finally came to practice. To, uh, it was about three games left in the season. And uh, I said, coach, whatever you want me to do. And, you know, fortunate for us, I was able to guard some of the faster guards like Jason Strait. Uh, Wyoming had, uh, no, BYU had, um, I can't think of their guard's name, but he was pretty good. And then, of course, UNLV had Marcus Banks. And I knew for us to get through that, I would have to add something as far as toughness goes and guard those guys, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it was it, it was tough, but, you know, we got the championship, man. And I, I don't know if I could trade that in for anything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I don't say this with any disrespect towards Coach Slayer because I never met him. But I will say the... Uh, having now talked to about five or six guys that played from him, played with him over a, you know, six, seven year span. That's mm-hmm. a pretty common response or, you know, our, our relationship was pretty up and down. You know, there were good moments, there were bad moments, right. uh, but the most common complaint that I've definitely heard was that he just, there were so many restraints that he just kind of didn't really let a lot of the guys kind of flourish and, and do what they would have. And it, it probably held back some teams that were a lot better than the, their records maybe indicate. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with it. The crazy part about it is as players, you know, you always have this thought in your mind about what if, you know, if it, it could yeah. be different, right? And we have these conversations all the time, like I say, and uh, I came back because I coached in China uh, and I came back and I was working as an international scout for my Chinese agency. And I ended up going to the G League showcase that that year. And Coach Lair was a was an assistant coach with the Greensboro Swarm in the G League. Okay. So I knew I was going to bump into him and meet him. And this would be the first time I met him since college, right? You know, you never know how these, you know, run-ins are going to go. Yeah. It turns out good and everything. And uh, we end up seeing these passes by each other in the hall. And uh, long story short, you know, like I say, you have these thoughts about what we're talking about. But until one of the coaches or somebody else comes out and say it, uh, is it true? We don't know. But he actually apologized to me. You know. He wow. Came, yeah. It, it it was surprising to me, you know, because as men, we're prideful. But yeah, obviously, totally. I'm, I'm a man now. And, you know, um, it took a lot for him to do that. And I greatly appreciated that. You know, he he's like D. And I, I think it's partly because he was now with the NBA. You know, he's dealing with higher level guards. You can't really control them like you can control us in college, you know. And so he got a better feel for how to let the guard go and then manage the guard instead of just putting us under restraints like he did. And so to me, it was just, you know, his his growth process as a coach and learning and, you know, becoming a better coach and everything. And but like I said, I greatly appreciate him saying it. He was like, D, I probably mismanaged your talent. That's what he said. I probably that's cool though. That. I mean, it, it's validating, you know, I, you can't go back, you can't change it, no. but it, it makes you be able to, I feel like to, to look back at that time. And I mean, you guys won a championship. So obviously it, it wasn't perfect, but you're the only CSU team that has ever Wait. won a mountain West championship in any form, regular season or in the tournament, you yes. know, that's, that's special. And, and the thing is Justin, I, as I get ready to come down for alumni weekend, I want to ask this the uh, athletic body, you know, how come we don't have anything honoring that team, you know, in any way, you know, it's a good question. 20 years, 
you know, other school, like one of my friends, he played at UW Milwaukee. They have an anniversary team for their championship team. And it never dawned on me. I'm like, man, we have nothing to say. We're the only team that done something for the school <laughs> is a big thing. And to me, it should be something to commemorate that. And uh, I think I'll speak to them when I go down. Cause next year, like I say, it'll be the 20th year. We want the perfect time. It'll be the perfect time to kind of, you know, drum that up. So we'll see how it goes, how it turns out. But to me, that I, I look at the other programs like Duke, other schools, the bigger schools. It's a culture that they've created between the former players and the current players. You know, like the former players come back in the summertime. Hell, at West Virginia, they even have a locker room for the former players, their own locker room, just for the former guys that come back in town and train. That's so cool. You see what I mean? So I'm like, the connection is still there from the championship pedigree of the ones who finish. And then they sew back into the current guys, you know? So like, as we get them ready to march into the uh, Mount West tournament, um, for instance, if I was the coach, although everybody think we won the, the three games by fluke, everybody always said, Oh man, y'all just lucked up and won three games. I'm like, when do you luck up and win against the talent that we had to play against in those three games? It was three of the best teams in the league, Wyoming and BYU. and Yeah, and and all three of them had an NBA guy. Yeah. BYU had two or three. They had uh, Javier Rougeau and Travis Hansen both played in the NBA. And, of course, we know UNLV had Marcus Banks, who was a lottery pick. And they're playing at home. And they're playing at home, right. And, um, you know, you don't just luck up and beat them. You know, it's it's a story behind it. And because I'm so cerebral as a guard, coach, you know, I'll, I'm very well rooted in the story of because I, I was going through it, but watching it at the same time. And a lot of the other power forwards are centers and stuff. They don't they don't think that way, that strategic. Yeah. They just, ah, man, you know, we won and I'm mad at Coach Lair. <laughs> you know? One of my guys in Finland, Ronnie Clark, I don't know if you are familiar with Ronnie, but man, you know, he he just has it out for Coach Lair. <laughs> Lair recruited Ronnie. And I was just talking to him about it the other day because I was asking him if he was going to come down to Alumni yeah. Weekend. But he has such pent-up resentment. And 20 years later, he's still angry about it. He's still, nah, man, I don't want to go, man. I Because he wanted to go to the NBA. You know, he felt he had a chance, and he felt like Coach Lair held him down. And um, I always tell him, but Ronnie, there's a deeper, a deeper thing to it, you know, a more sentimental value to it, the story that we – created as a group because it took us all season long to become like the Rams are now, the, the yeah. guys are now, you know, they've been winning all season yet. We had a losing start and then ups and downs throughout the year. And then as the year went on, we learned and we grew into a championship team. And I always say the one thing about that team, once we got to the Mount West tournament, you were going to have to rip our hearts out to beat us. I, I knew that going into the games. Like, it wasn't a question in my mind. I didn't question nobody next to me. And then when we faced Duke, it was the same way. Like, I knew we were so good as a team. I said, they're going to have to beat us. Now it's coming down to who's going to make those last plays at the end. You know, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, they made those plays. We had a freshman at the free throw line. He missed the front end of a one-and-one. It's a minute and 15 left. We almost get him on a five-second count. He throws it off the butt of Ronnie because Ronnie's facing the yeah. court instead of looking at the ball. He throws off his butt. Daniel Ewan runs down, hit a three. So that's how we lose to them. But it was a complete team war. 
you know, meaning like whoever as a team can come up with those big plays, this is going to win. But I was completely confident in our group and what we had grown to as a, as a, as a team. So, mm-hmm. What do you think it was about that team? Because, and, and this was kind of consistent, I guess, during the later era. It was another thing that that Michael Morris brought up a couple of years ago is that you guys would have these decent starts in non-conference play, or in some cases, like great starts. And then it would just, it seemed to always fall apart at the beginning of conference play. And obviously your first season on campus, you guys ended up, you know, you started strong and in, in non-con had a brutal conference slate and then you rebound really well, win the Mountain West tournament, hang with Duke, have them on the ropes. Mm-hmm. What switched? Is it just guys being more willing to to accept their roles, like you said, individually? Or, I, I mean, what do you think it was? Well, one, we had super competitive guys. You know, everybody on the team, especially our, our upper tier guys on the team, man, everybody was competitive. You know, and, you know, you see, I wasn't playing and I'm probably, as Mike said, one of the most competitive ones. And that goes to show you, you know, combined with Mike and the other guys being young and talented, when you mix that with us, you know, the the seasoned veteran guys who, you know, just refuse to lose and, you know, come to work hard and fight every day. You know, you just have a good mixture. And Andy, I will say this, Andy and Brian, you know, they were great in regards to how they conducted themselves, how how they carried themselves as leaders. You know, Brian was one of the, he's still to this day, one of the most fiercest competitors, you know, that I've played with, you know, along with him being 6'8 and smart and can shoot. And, you know, he was just tough as nails, man, you know. Um, So we just had a guy, a bunch of guys that were tough, man, strong-minded. And then toward the end, like I say, we just, we knew we were good. You know, we had NBA coaches coming in the summertime because Nelly, our center, you know, yeah. who I didn't really mentioned too much, but, you know, he was supposed predicted to go to the NBA. So he had a lot of fanfare, a lot of people coming to see him, scouts, stuff like that. And John Concat came in the gym and watched us in the summertime. And I'll uh, never forget, you know, he was like, man, you guys have a talented team. You know, you should go really far. And it's, it's, if it's going to be led it should be led, he said, by me and Ronnie, the one who has all the resentment that, you know. Um, but that was his synopsis. And it was because me and Ronnie always picked teams. We were kind of opposing forces, mm-hmm. you know, like never played with each other, you know, but we were good friends, you know. So he would take his group. I would take, the, you know, my group with Andy, and then we would just all battle. And in the summertime, it was some of the best ball that, you know, because the coaches are removed. Yeah, and, you know, we had, you know, Milk used to come back and play with us, Milk Palacio. Mm-hmm. Um, and he added that extra flair to it. So it's really high because he's there. And, you know, <laughs> so in the summertime, I always say, you know, we created, you know, the the pedigree of the team. You know, how we were going to, you know, what type of team we were going to be and things like that. But as we got into the season with Coach Lair, you know, he would, again, restrict certain guys change certain things, take away certain things. And then we had to go through Nelly all the time because Nelly was the, you know, the one that he wanted to run offense through. It's kind of like them with David Roddy, but see the difference with Roddy is he can go inside out, you know, pass. Yeah, it doesn't constrict you so much. Yeah, so Roddy is more fluent. So the offense can be more fluent because the best player can do everything. But with Nelly just being a primary post guy, that means I've come up to court. I got to just look inside and space and cut. And then if he shoots it, he shoots it. If not, we shoot threes with our feet set. 
Whereas Roddy is more Draymond Greenish. He's up top in the actions. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so that makes for more fluent offense because now he can move the ball side to side, play breakdown. He doesn't have to be on the block. He can be out on the on the perimeter. He can get it and just make a play. You know, so it makes mm-hmm. just the offense more move better opposed to having a 1990s style big who's going to sit on the block and then we have to go inside. Now the game is slow. You know, we weren't allowed to fed fast break because of Nelly, you know, coach wouldn't let us fast break. You get the rebound. You had to stop. You had to wait for him to get down the court. And we are like, we got to wait for him to get down. The court. Literally. That's why we didn't score many points. If you look at the tapes, like we're slowly getting the ball at the court. You know, he would let Mike get out every now and then and play, you know, him just being young and athletic. So every now and then he let Mike get out and run. But, you know, outside of that, everything was slow. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. great. Like, especially today to hear that a coach would be like, no, we have athletic guards that can get to the hoop, but we don't want to get out on the break. Don't want to run. And we would be, sometimes we would be in the games, we would be in front of guys slowing the ball up and the fans are like what are you guys what are you doing like, <laughs> they would literally be yelling like what are you doing attack the rim and i'm looking like um i don't know if i want to do that because i want to be in the game you yeah, know you don't want to get taken out want to get taken out and then end up getting taken out anyway because something else you know so that you know i feel like um you know just made it it, it felt like we were playing against ourselves and the competition right that makes sense yeah yeah, like we're battling ourselves, what we can and can't do. Now I'm playing against great guards. You know, they just would figure us out super quick. They're like, oh, they're not going to take open shots. They're not going to drive to the rim. So they just would relax on defense. They wouldn't even play defense because they knew double team Matt Nelson, make them kick it out. The next option is probably going to Brian, out the high post or something, double team him. Nobody else is going to shoot. So early on, it was easy to beat us like that, but then – Later on, you know, we kind of start taking a little bit more shots from the perimeter, kind of start driving, attacking more. And then we just kind of accepted the way we had to win. It was yeah. like we had to win that way or go home losers. And we all felt like we were too good to do that. You know, we, we came to practice. Like I said, we came to practice and, you know, we all agreed, hey, whatever we have to do, just do it. You know, that way we win. We're fulfilled. You know, we didn't squander away a year. And um, I, I had, like I said, I had so much admiration for Brian and Andy because they turned it up a notch towards the end, you know, staying late, shooting extra shots, coming early, stuff like that. And again, I'm a point guard and that's how I conduct myself as a leader. Yeah. So then I watch them. I say, oh, man, OK, they're turning it up, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. That that whole stretch just like a couple years in hindsight it's it's just kind of crazy how it all played out because you guys have like the win at home over purdue where michael makes like the most absurd shot i've I've ever seen and it still frustrates me so much that there isn't a full version of that game online somewhere but like you guys almost beat duke you win the mountain west championship and then you look at like and then it'd be like randomly in there like a 35 point loss to utah or something which was a really good program at the time like those you know i mean they're producing nba players but yeah i don't know it's just uh i wonder if if maybe the game changed just a little bit faster like you guys were were kind of caught in between eras you know of like the late 90s early 2000s like if you just would have played 10 years later you know you would have had a complete freedom yeah and again, you know, that's something that, you know, 
watching the kids play today. I'm kind of jealous a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, you can actually walk up the court and just shoot a three <laughs> and not run offense. Yeah. That's not heard of in my day. Like you could, you'd be subbed out of the game so fast, you know, your head would spin, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I just, I look at the freedom that they have and, you know, the, the ability they have to come down and survey the floor and read and then react to it, you know? Whereas we couldn't read and react. We had to just play, you know, stagnant basketball, going and running a play and, you know, um, stuff like that made it made it very, very difficult as far as mentally, you know, mentally challenging. But again, you know, it to me taught us how to play together, you know, taught us how to, you know, deal with adversity and overcome even the coach, you know, because it got to a point where it wasn't even about Coach Lair. We just knew like, man, we've been working so hard, man. We we not losing. That's, you know, yeah. so we moved past him. We got over him like uh, just whatever, man. He's going to sub you out, so accept it. When you come out, be positive. That's the only way we're going to get this job done. And everybody just accepted it, you know? Well, I'm glad that you guys, you know, even if it was years later, were able to to kind of have that moment where, you know, he was able to admit, you know, hey, I, I messed up. And I think that's probably a, a big part of coaching. You know, nobody knows what they're doing. And, and I do want to get into your coaching career. But before we dive into that... Um, can can you tell me a little bit about the the story with Gerald White and, and Michael Morris and, and kind of how you got like a, a professional tryout? Because the way he explained it to me, you you know, you were kind of just like, you know, I know I'm a really good basketball player. I don't want to get a, a real job or quote unquote real job. You know what I mean? Like a day job. You know, yeah. I, I want to keep playing. And so he called his dad and, and arranged a tryout for you. Like, how, how did that all come together? Um, okay, with, with Gerald. I think um, I actually, what's a little bit more to it, I I, for, I was in Iceland at the time. Okay. Um, so I played, I was in Iceland for like a year and a half to that point. And I was playing really well. It was my first job overseas playing. And uh, mind you, the whole, let me, let me say this, the whole fuel for my career is because once I got done, which is another gripe me and Coach Slayer had, he had offered me a manager's position at Walmart in my graduation exit interview, right? Exactly. And I just graduated from college and I'm sitting there like, I did just graduate from college, you know what I mean? And so- Do you think it was like, like intended to be like as a slight? Like, do you think it was a well-intended gesture that just, you know what I mean? Like some people, you offer something and you know that in their hearts, it wasn't, they just like, oh, like that person just wouldn't see like why that was such a, offensive or dumb thing to do or do you think it was really like a he was like no your future's at walmart i and see you know like i say to humble me i'm going to take the higher and i'm going to say he i respect that by it right um because i don't think he had any bad intentions by it but again as a kid who just graduated from college who you know how hard i work things like that it was kind of offensive to me um because i feel like although I didn't get a chance to manifest everything that I could playing for you. That doesn't mean I can't going forward. Yeah. And, and I mean, your character has been on display, like you bought in and yes, you know, you believe in your own abilities, other, you know, Michael Morris, other people believe in your abilities. So it's not just, there are basketball players. You know, I think everybody that plays at the D one level has confidence in themselves. Mm-hmm. There are some players whose confidence is probably a, a little bit inflated and not, 
you know, quite on, on level with their actual talent. But I mean, you went on to have a, you know, decade plus long professional career. Mm-hmm. And the, I think it what offended me by it is because I think he knew how hard I worked at the game. Yeah. Because I had to I proved it to him one summer because they were saying, you know, this guy was working hard and, you know, this other guy was working hard on the team. And I knew I was the hardest working person. So it was kind of offensive. So we went home for the summer and I made a chart and I charted every shot I took while I was at home. So I came back with a bag full of charted shots and then I sat it on his desk and I'm like, and you telling me. <laughs> and so we had the conversation and everything. And he was like, wow. And I was like, yeah, you know, like I actually put the time in. I, I have to because I'm six feet. I'm not six eight like Ryan or six six like Ronnie with athleticism. You know, so that was my way of having an edge like any small guard, right? Um, but again, going back to the story, you know, he offered it and it rubbed me the wrong way. So I was just hell bent, you know, on starting my career, didn't care why I started it. And I actually started in tier one of Mexico. Oh you know, man. First year. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that. So that was my first journey into you know playing professionally. We had a try, I had a tryout there actually took a bus there. And the first time I got across the border, like I was just shocked. I'm like, is this really real? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was it was a, an adventure to say the least. And um, I stayed there maybe a couple of weeks and then I ended up leaving. And then I came back to Denver and I played for ABA team in Denver. And so I was there and then that team folded. And then I ended up going to Louisiana and finishing the, uh, the, the ABA season. I was in the ABA at the time. Okay. I finished the season there, made the all-star team. Was in uh, It was in Vegas, the all-star game. It was pretty good. It was ran by Master P. Um, left there, went back to Mexico, um, and was supposed to sign a deal there with a the team. But then the Iceland team came, and they offered. And I ended up, of course, I'm, I'm going to Iceland. There's no way I'm staying in Mexico. Yeah. I got the choice between Europe and here. So I take that. I go there to go uh, come back up to speed. I'm doing really well in Iceland, averaging about, you know, between 26, 28 points. Um, you know, now I'm back to being myself because you have to go through that process of finding yourself again, mm-hmm. you know, and, and playing free and the coach wanting you to, hey, D, put it all on display now. Like nobody's stopping you. So I had to kind of like the first couple of games find it. But I was so nervous the second game because, um, you know, Coach Lair and the coaches, man, if you don't score, they're going to cut you when you play overseas, you know, especially back in 2004 or five, you know, yeah. thousands. Um, so I was so nervous. I came out and I just went ballistic. I had like 50, 54 points, something like that. That's what I wanted to ask. Mike said you had 55 points and like 14 assists or something in your first yeah. game. Yeah, like 50 something, 14 assists. Like I, I just remember being in that headspace of like every time attack. No matter what they did, they pressed me, they trapped me, everything. And I was just in that zone, like nothing's going to stop me because I wanted to have my career start. Yeah. And if you lose over there, they send you home. You know, you only got about three or four losses in a row and you're going home, you know. Because they <laughs> and, can't afford the the contracts otherwise. Yeah, because so, I mean, like, you're not winning. You know, they got tons of players obviously wanting to play, you know, um, tons of agents hitting them up about, you know, their guys and, you know, it can be a revolving door if a team wants that, you know, so you always got to be, you know, on point and perform and, you know, make sure you're, you know, kind of the driving force behind the team. They feel right. 
Yeah. And, um, so I, I, I gave that up, I, you know, came home one night and I was actually coaching like all of their teams there. It's just me being a point guard and stuff like that. On the weekends, I would coach all their youth teams, you know, literally all of them from U12 all the way to U5. 18 like i had so many games i was been in the gym all day long you know were they paying you for any of that or is that just like expected of you well i mean like the coach you know he saw that you know in practice you know i the guys would listen to me and he was like man you know you'd be great you know helping us build up our uh youth program you know and uh, i said great you know if you guys pay me i'll do it i don't have nothing to do you over there by yourself anyway right yeah and that's how i spend my weekends just coaching all weekend and then play a game on sunday um, and, and that was pretty much it. But, um, again, uh, piggybacking on the coach thing, he, his wife was pregnant the first year I was there, right? Halfway. Okay. Through, she was pregnant and, um, she was having problems with her with pregnancy. And, um, you know, in practice, I would be so frustrated, you know, because in America, everything is about defense, uh-huh. right? Everything is about defense, you know, playing hard, that type of thing, rotating, talking, communicating. There, our whole practice was about offense. You know, <laughs> we did no defense. And I don't, as players, you don't want to do anything with defense, but I'm like, yeah, do a little we're not going to win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to win doing that. Like, I don't want to do no defensive slides, but I know that we need him to win, right? And so, um, you know, he was like, man, like, I, I need some pointers. Like, you have any pointers from what you went through in college and what you were doing? And I was like, yeah, you know, so I would start giving him pointers in practice on the defensive side of the ball and the players started to take a liking to it. So again, his wife was, you know, having problems with her pregnancy and, um, she, you know, she was just like, you know, I need you at home. And so he didn't want to bring another coach in to take his job. So Makes his sense. idea <laughs> was like, I'll make you the coach. <laughs> you know, and I can still keep my position. You see what I mean? Yeah. So he was clever about it, you know, clever about it. So he, we play a game, we lose the game. I'm disappointed. We're in McDonald's. I'm sitting there by myself and I'm like, man, we can't lose another game. We'll go home. So I'm worried about my job, right? And he comes to me. He's like, so what do you think about coaching the team for a little while, you know, while I'm out and I'm going to stay home for a little while? What do you think about that? You know, I'll give you an assistant. You know, you pretty much call all the plays anyway. It's not going to be very much change for you. You know, he's like, but in my mind, I'm like, that's offensive. I'm young. I'm 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 trying to yeah. play. I don't want to coach, you know. So I took it as a kind of an affair. I'm like, no, I just want to play. My job is to play, right? And he was like, well, you know, they'll give you an extra couple thousand dollars. And I was like, well, okay, you know. Well, now <laughs> that we're talking. Got my attention. <laughs> I like you got my attention now. So we had another meet, another meeting about it the following day. And long story short. He convinced me. He even talked to the manager, the management for uh, for me. And normally, older guys normally do those player coach roles. You know, when you're about to retire, you don't really play much, so you just basically coach that's dressed up with the team, right? It's like you Udonis know? Haslam on the Heat. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. You're not playing at all, but you you know you're there just dressed up, but you're coaching really. And so, I didn't think I could do it at first, you know, because I was so zoned into playing, and I didn't want to lose that opportunity in playing. Um, but after a while, a week went by, I thought about it and I said, man, let's give it a try. It's, you know, building resumes, something that is rare. Right. And I ended up doing it. Um, and we ended up flipping the season around, you know? So at that time we were like four and 10 or four and 11. 
the after Christmas, we went like 12 and three. Nice. So we went the exact opposite yeah. way. We won all the games. And the only reason why we lost the last three is because I sprained my ankle at the end in practice. And so I sprained it. And so I was out for like four or five weeks and we lost the games. And then I had to miss the first playoff game. And we ended up losing that because, you know, the ball was, it'd be like taking Isaiah from them. They're used to Isaiah yeah. having the ball. You know what I mean? Um, so the team just couldn't run. And and that's how that season ended. But the following season, I came back playing well, was still coaching and uh, playing. Um, but I just kind of got past it and I wanted to move forward. So then um, I decided to come back home. So it was my decision to come back home. They didn't cut me. You know, I just said, man, I want to go back home because as a good player, a great player, and I always tell the guy, the young guys that, that I work with now in the pros, if you think you're good, you got to go play with the other good guys. If you Don't just dominate good. lesser competition. Don't just dom- yeah, like yeah. if you think you're that type of guy, then you have to go and find out if you're that type of guy. You know, but sometimes it requires you putting yourself in the position to. You know, sometimes it doesn't come to you. You have to go make it happen for yourself. And I'm very much, you know, that type of guy. If you hear the rest of my story, even getting to CSU, I'm just very much that type of guy. So I've let the money on the table that I was making, which was okay. Uh, came back home. I didn't get the G League tryout, so I wanted to do G League. I didn't get it right away. So I played in the WBA, which is going to lead back into the story. I played in the WBA. The championship game was in Atlanta uh, that summer. Okay. Uh, so we the championship in the WBA. Um, and I stayed out in Atlanta. And this is what, around like 2006, 2007 ish, seven. So it rose in the seven summer of seven. I'm there in Atlanta, you know, trying to figure it out. Um, you know, G white in that situation presented itself. Um, and so, you know, I, I said, well, you know, if I can stay down here and train, you know, cause obviously a lot of good players stay in, you know, those type of places in Atlanta, Florida, places like that. And the pro one sports agency is, is there in Atlanta. And so, um, I got in contact with Mike, other guys, you know, uh, coach Peterson and one of my other friends and, you know, we all kind of facilitated it. They kind of, they let me come down, stay in the apartment with the guys cause they give all the guys apartments for the summertime to work out. So I stayed there, you know, and the first day there, man, it was tough. You know, you had Jared Jack, you had <laughs> Will Bynum, because they all played at Georgia Tech. You know, you had um, Gerald Fitz that played at Kentucky, mm-hmm. a point guard. I, it was it was a, the first week was an adjustment period, you know, facing those guys again and seeing that competition, you know. Um, but it was awesome. And it turned into me uh, growing you know, becoming even better than I, I would say I had ever been from facing that competition daily, you know, and um, I had got was doing so well that it then led into New Jersey coming in. And, you know, G. White led me to be a part of New Jersey training camp because they had a training camp for it was Jared Jack, all the guards that I just named Kevin Lyde and Dion Glover, who played at Georgia Tech as well. And so he allowed me to be a part of it, um, especially I played against one guy. Um, that was the defensive year player of the year in the G League that year. And we, we played one-on-one in front of everybody. You know, he's six seven, six eight, And I looked at it like, okay, this is a time that I can really show, you know, my ability. He's a defensive player of the year. You should beat me, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. should easily beat me. Eight inches right? on you. 
got eight inches on me. Everything is in his favor, yeah. right? But I end up beating three games in a row. First game, 7-2. Second game, 7-1. Last game, like 7-2 or 3. You know, and to this, he's coaches. He just got a job in Sioux Falls with the Sioux Falls G League team. We're still really good friends. And to this day, all he asked me is when we, as soon as you come and I see you, we checking ball. We <laughs> Even retired, he still wants that revenge. <laughs> I'm like, man, bro, that's almost 20 years ago. But that's just the competitive nature of guys. You know, you never want a guy to get that one up on you. And uh, again, he's doing really well. He's with the, his name is Ronaldo Major. He played in the G League for like 16 years. He's the G League all-time lead scorer. I was going to say, know? I definitely know that name. Yeah, 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 yeah. He played in the NBA a little bit, but he had heart trouble. So that kind of stopped his career, sadly. But he's doing well now. Just got his first opportunity coaching the G League. Um, so that, that's excellent for him. But again, that that's kind of how I got that opportunity with New Jersey. And then from there, it kind of, I took that confidence. And, you know, we had a G League team in, in, in Colorado at the time, the 14ers. Yeah, back in the and day. And so I back in the that. day, this is 0708, you know? <laughs> and so I was just like, I have to take playing against the NBA guys, that competition, and make it work for me. So I called my agent and I said, man, like, ask Joe Wolf if I can come down because Joe was the head coach. I asked Joe Wolf if I can come down and just play with the guys. Like, I don't want him to give me anything, just let me play. And I was actually working out at CSU this day because I flew back in town. And then I got the call from my agent. I was working out with Fred Robinson. I don't know if you're familiar with Fred. Fred, uh, he graduated around 2009-10. But me and him were working out at CSU and uh, get the call. And he's like, he said, be there tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. So I drove, I drive up. I ended up, the workout ended up being me playing against Poo Jeter. Uh, <laughs> Poo Jeter, yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so we just going to play one-on-one. And he made us play one-on-one for a week straight. It was just me and him for a week straight. And we just battled for a week straight. And then coach, he, he finally saw, at the beginning, it was, it was like tip or tack because Poo's pretty quick. So I had to catch up with his speed. And then after a couple of days, I caught up with his speed pretty good. And, you know, we started battling pretty good. And then um, after that, he was like, I need, you, need to see you play five on five. And so I'm like, okay, how are we going to do that? You know, well, you have a couple guys here coming and going, you know. So he was like, I'm going to take you to, to uh, Nuggets, to the Nuggets facility. And they're starting mini camp. So he ended up taking us the next day to mini camp. That's so that's how I got into the Nuggets mini camp is Joe taking us up there and uh, dropping us in. And uh, the first five on five game I had played in front of him was against Chucky Atkins, for instance. And so again, I'm like, where well, was the G League players at? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's my skill against them in front of you, not a seven, eight year NBA pro, right? And but that's the ex- expectation, the lofty expectation to it. So I'm like, okay, you got to rise to the challenge, step up to the challenge. And uh, good thing I had before that, that experience in Atlanta, you know, so it kind of groomed me for the moment again. And, you know, we played there for two weeks doing mini camp, played with all the guys, battled. And George called after the end of the week, like I was playing so good. George came from behind the window because if you know how the Denver's facility the mm-hmm. bikes are like right by the window and he would ride the bike and watch and look out at the court. 
And uh, I was playing really, really well, man. Really, really well. Develop a bond with Chucky Atkins and we would come back, shoot at night. And, um, you know, George was like, he, he called me over there, him and Adrian Dantley, to talk to me. And, um, you know, he goes, Derek, how you doing? I go, I'm going, I'm doing great, coach. And uh, the story always gives me chills because I didn't really know how to answer because I couldn't believe he called me. And we talking about 20, 30 high level guys overseas, you know, the whole Nuggets roster. So, any, you know, he could call anybody. I'm like, man, he called me, right? Yeah. And uh, he goes, you're playing really well. I tell him, thank you. And then I stopped him. And I said, Coach, before you say anything, I just want to say I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me, you know, because it's a lot of talented guys in here, you know, and you call me over. So I just want to thank you. Before you say anything else, just thank you. I appreciate it. And he was like, oh, man, you being too humble. You know what I mean? That's what he tells me. <laughs> He's like, no, you're playing phenomenal. You're playing great. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, he's like, you know, let me paint the picture for you in the scenario. And he goes, how many years did Chucky Atkins play in the NBA? I said, he's been in the NBA like seven, eight years. Uh, he said, yeah. How many years has Anthony Carter, the other point guard, right? How many years has he played in the NBA? I said, about the same, seven, eight years. He said, yeah. He's like, how old are you? At that time, I had just made 27. But I had only been out of college for three years because I graduated mm-hmm. college at 24. But it, now we're growing into that period of they want guys super early. You know, they want you 21 and 22 and, you know, things like that. Right. You know, if you come in at that age, you know, overseas, you know, it's just going to be tough, you know. And so I was like, I'm 27. And he's like, any NBA experience? It's like, no, coach, I ain't never played in the NBA. I can't say that, you know? And he's like, yeah. So he was like, I have three veteran guards, you know? So he was like, for me to take a chance on you, cut one of them, it, as a coach, you know, it basically he's saying as a coach, it would look bad on him if I didn't play and perform up to level when he has two stabilizing forces. And then he has Iverson because he was the only one that didn't never come to practice. And I, I tell people all the time, I can actually validate that because I was there two weeks straight <laughs> and he never came. He never showed up to not one practice. Until the last day of, 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 of uh, minicamp, he came and won all the sprints. One of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. I said, he hasn't been here. How has he beat me in a sprint? Like, he shouldn't beat me in anything. But he was, we were running suicides. He would win them. Easily, like easily. And I'm just looking like, guys, just a, he's just a freak of nature. He's the stories about him are insane. Like in terms of like, they'd win a game in Memphis and then he'd hop on a charter to Vegas and party all night and not sleep. And then it'd be a back to back and they'd, he'd like meet the team in Golden State and drop 35 on them. And it's just like, what? That's, and that's how the, the whole training camp thing was. Like he would, you know, be out and hanging out. I seen it with my own eyes and I know how hard we were working, man. And for him to come in and still be able to beat, and I'm pretty fast. And I'm like, man, he stills, he's beat me by a pretty good distance. Right. I'm like, how, you know? And so, um, it had to be pretty surreal though. I mean, especially not that, you know, the mountain West is, is low. I mean, we're seeing just how talented this conference is this year, but yeah. I mean, to be a guy that, you know, and granted, we already talked about all the circumstances and you could have shined if given the opportunity, but to, you know, be a, a guy that went from being a role player in the Mountain West to on the same court running sprints with Allen Iverson. Yes. 
Yes, it was it, it was the most amazing part or one of the most amazing parts of my whole basketball journey. And uh, I look at that after the coaches talked to me, you know, everybody thought I was going to make the G League team. Like that wasn't even a question, you know, um, and Joe promised he was going to draft me. You know, he was like, OK, we're going to draft you. Don't worry about it. Everything is everything. I don't I've seen you play against NBA guys. I don't need to see you play against any G League players. Um, so. I worked out the rest of the time up into the draft, which is about late November, December, and Idaho Stampede ended up drafting me. And it was the worst situation I could have been in because they already had Randy Livingston, you know, and uh, Randy, you know, played in the NBA for 12 years, man. He was like the president of G League, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, he, I mean, like he did whatever he wanted. He was the coach yeah. of that team pretty much. And I, I call Joe calls me right after I get drafted. He was like, man, we were just about to draft you. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I've been waiting the whole time. I'd worked out with you guys all summer long, you know, and they didn't draft me, man. So I go to Idaho. And of course, you know, with Randy being there, it's just, you know, you got 12 year veteran point guard, man. Like that's the coach of the team, basically, you know. And Randy, he felt bad for me being in that situation because he understood it. And he knows the politics. Obviously, he had played for years and years and he felt so bad for me. So he ended up helping me get to Puerto Rico, you know, so he was instrumental in that. And so I ended up going. To, I was home for like a month or so in Fort Collins. And then I ended up going to Puerto Rico for a little while for a tryout. And as I'm going through my tryout, which is a whole other story, I'm in Puerto Rico going into April. I was in Puerto Rico a couple months going into April. The 14 has cut their backup point guard. Now, the starting point guard was Eddie Gill, also a seven-year NBA pro. Mm -hmm. And then um, they end up taking Torian Green and sending him down to the Nuggets. So they cut the backup, brought me in. I'm thinking, okay, this is my time. The moment I get there, the Nuggets send Torian Green down, obviously, because he was in the same boat that, I, that George Coyle was explaining to me about the three guards. He's like, we have no room for him. So he wasn't playing. He was just DMPing a lot because of Iverson them. So they figured it was better to send him down for his development. So they sent him down the day I got there. So now I have two NBA point guards in front of me. <laughs> and that's and that's the nature of it. That's the politics of it. That's the hard part in it. You know, and, um, you know, I always tell the guys, you have to be able to persevere through moments like that to have a career. Mm -hmm. So when did you ultimately end up in, in China? Um, so, so the first time I went to China was with a G League select team. Um, and this is 2009. Okay. Um, I actually went to, to Spain that same, same summer, uh, for a tryout with a Spanish team. And I ended up getting a concussion by a big guy. He elbowed me in the, in the side of my head, you know, had to be rushed to the hospital in Spain, which was a whole, that was an adventure, you know, let me say, <laughs> Um, but it was eye-opening, say the least, a great experience. So they ended up letting me go. I came home. Uh, one of the coaches at New Mexico Highlands needed a point guard. One of the point guards got injured. And uh, he was like, man, I have a spot open on my select team. Do you want to take the, take the spot? And I was like, yeah, let's do it, man. So I ended up taking the spot. And we ended up going to China, playing against like four international teams. We played against uh, the Chinese national team. Uh, Kazakhstan's national team, Qatar's national team, and 
Uzbekistan or something, something like that. So four or five teams and we end up beating them all and we won a gold medal, you know, for that tournament. You know, it's like a preliminary tournament for their national teams to get ready yeah. for the Olympics and everything. So we end up winning gold in that. And I played well. I was MVP of that. And a couple of agents from China, you know, were interested in talking to me. And one of them I became really, really good friends with. Um, and that led me into going back after I retired and coaching there. So, so that's the Chinese part. Mm-hmm. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet $1 on any team, get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on the NBA with the same game parlay. This is where you combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR. Bet $1 on any NBA team. Get $150 in free bets if they win. That promo code DNVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Guys, March Madness is just around the corner, and if you're going to be chilling, watching games all day, you're going to need some tasty snacks along the way. And if you're in the metro area, I got to tell you about my friends at Sexy Pizza. If you've ever been to one of the DNVR Broncos tailgates, we had Sexy Pizza at every single one. It is the bee's knees. With 13 years in the Denver community, Sexy Pizza is as local as it gets. A hand-tossed deck oven pizza with made-from-scratch each morning dough. You can choose your own adventure with a wide range of toppings or try one of their signature philanthropies. A portion of every sale of these five specialty pies is donated to a range of different nonprofits right here in Colorado. Looking, If you are looking to have Sexy Pizza support your organization or event, go to www.sexy.pizza and check out their About page for the donations link to see how Sexy Pizza can support your cause. With a 12-inch, 16-inch, and an 18-inch crust, Sexy Pizza is sure to have the right fit. They have all the fixins with wings, salads, pasta, knots, dessert options. They have a vegan option. They have a 12-inch gluten-free crust. And you have a can't-miss hit. You really cannot miss everything they have slaps. Stop by any of their four Denver locations in Cap Hill, Old South Pearl, Jefferson Park, or Park Hill. Or if you're out in Trinidad, they just had a location open out there. Go check it out. You will love it. How long did you end up coaching out in, in China? I, I had a I had a two-year contract. I stayed one year straight, like without coming home. Like, and I didn't even do that in Europe when I was playing. <laughs> but I was there for a whole entire year uh in Fuzhou. And that's like the con- more of the countryside. It's not, it's not like Beijing, it's not like Shanghai. You know, so that was really, really eye-opening being there um, and seeing how they actually live and how things work and the culture and, you know, has its goods and bads like any place, you know, and I enjoyed both, uh, all of it. But I was there for a year and then I decided to come back home. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think the the dream is is for 
any basketball player that that has the ability to is is obviously to to reach the NBA. And mm-hmm. I, I've known you know other guys that were in similar situations who, you know, in a, in a certain situation, if the if it in the, the timing would have been better, you know, if if somebody else wouldn't have been on the roster, Stanton Kidd's a, a good example. This a guy that played at CSU, you know, he mm-hmm. made the Jazz's team. He was going to be their twelfth guy, but he's like. I'm going to maybe play once every 10 games. Like I'm going to go be a star in Europe. Right. I do think, you know, the average basketball fan doesn't quite understand, you know, like you really can make a phenomenal career, you know, overseas and you get to see the world. And mm-hmm. I don't know, as somebody that's never gotten to leave the United States, I'm, I'm very jealous of that aspect. Yeah. And that, and that was, as I got older, you know, those, that that's the part that I learned that I grew to appreciate more, a lot more. You know, understand because it it all it's all perspective. You know, when you understand that the average person is working every day to save money to go on these trips, to see these things, be in these places, and you're being able to do it for free, you know, <laughs> and just practice two hours and the whole rest of the day is yourself most of the, to yourself most of the time. I mean, you can't beat it. But you know, when you're playing, you're so tuned in to playing. You block everything out. You don't really go places, you know, and you know, you kind of miss that part of it. And as the years went by, I'm a history person. I love history. So I started to like appreciate all the places that I was in. And um, the last place I went was Egypt, you know, which to me was the climax, you know, of everything. It was like the apex, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it came right at the end. And I, I told myself, yep, I'm, I'm good with retiring right here. I retired playing in Egypt. I saw the pyramid. <laughs> I thought there was no better way. Like, and so that was actually the last place I went, and it was phenomenal. It was awesome. I actually went, um, what was it, when the pandemic first hit, I went again in October. Because I was I came out of retirement, I was going to play again. Um, because the pandemic hit, you know, the G League had stopped. They didn't know when the season was going to start again. And so I was just home. And then uh, one of my friends was like, man, like, we may have a spot on our team. If you're not doing anything, you know, you guys aren't coaching nothing. Why not? You know? And I said, man, a free trip to Egypt. I'm not going to turn that down. You yeah. Know? Why not, man? Yeah. So I actually went over again and uh, stayed for like a month. And then of course with COVID and all the stuff, you know, it, they shut everything down like most leagues over in Europe too. So. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, I could ask you a million questions about the G League too, but I'm gonna end up having you on here for three right. hours. <laughs> um, the, how did the how did the TBT stuff come to be? You know, what made you want to get involved in this? Was this your idea? Did somebody approach you? Just you know, generally speaking, how mm-hmm. did you know Team Ram Up become a thing? Well, you know, like I'm very much a person that likes to do new things. I like new projects. I'm very much a forward going type of guy. Like once I've done something, I like to move past it. You know, everything that I've, you know, be honest, Justin, I've I've done everything that I had on my board, on my to-do list, my bucket list, as far as a player, coach, you know, I've coached, I've ran camps overseas, coached overseas, you know, finally had an opportunity to start coaching in the G League, NBA, getting that started, Um, you know, do things internationally, um, and I just was looking for something that I haven't done, you know, in retrospect, something that I haven't done, something that could, you know, be beneficial to pro players, you know, that I'm close with, familiar with. Um, and 
I had the time right now. So I was like, man, like that'll be a good one to, to kind of draw them up for the guys because I see everybody else has those alumni teams and we don't have one. And I was like, I'm surprised I'm, it's taken this long, to be honest. I, I mean, that, with the, with the talented, you know, former CSU players that there are, you know, in Europe and, you know, mm-hmm. some other guys, I know, I was curious if you would be able to get Jason Smith on the teams, you know, some people, some former NBA guys do it, but I'm kind of glad you didn't because I think it's a better opportunity yes. for the guys that are up and coming, you know? I, I actually talked to him about it and uh, his, his, his number one reply to me was, man, I'm old. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Oh, cause he's doing broadcasting now. Yeah. And he's on the radio and stuff. Like radio, he's got a good gig. That. Yeah. So he's just relaxing now. He's like, nah, I'm not doing it, man. He's like, <laughs> but he's like, I'll help in some some uh, kind of way, you know, once you have everything together and everything. So he'll be helping out. I'm not sure just how he would be doing so just yet, but um, hopefully he'll, you know, be involved some kind of way. Sure. Mm-hmm. So did you guys have like tryouts or was this just an, you know, invite only type deal? How did, how did the roster get built? Well, I went... Um, you know, I myself went through the list of guys and look at I looked at their skill sets, tried to find guys that complement each other because um, we get three non CSU players. So the non CSU players, I wanted to fill in the gaps of what I felt like we were missing uh-huh. with our CSU guys, because you have to have seven uh, alumni players to be an alumni team. Right. So I went through the list. Oh, I didn't know, realize there was like an actual stipulation on that yeah yeah if you don't have seven then you can't be considered alumni team you know so interesting that's yeah. kind of cool so, though keeps it official yes it makes so more than half your roster is comp- comprised of you know said players you know yeah and so it made sense to me and uh the other three i just said okay well let me put together the pieces after going over their film looking at their scouting reports seeing what if they're playing in shape now you know, I went through it and it kind of just as I went through and added the guys it fell into place, you know, according to the guys that wanted to commit. And then I had a couple of guys that were non-CSU players that kind of missed perfectly as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think the last spot was kind of the hardest spot because, you know, we had two really good non-CSU players that wanted to join. Uh, so I ended up going with more size, you know, more a more versatile four opposed to a uh, a versatile two, meaning he can play the point, kind of a combo guard situation. So I took the size, um, and I feel like you know the roster is is well put together, man. Like you know they complement each other. They all have a certain pedigree, you know, as far as competing. You know, like JJ, JJ, JJ is a great competitor. He brings that competitive spirit, great rebounder, and uh, the same with a few of the other guys. So, so that's how it came together. You know, I just kind of broke it down, seeing what they can provide, put it together, and then it kind of just pieced itself together. Mm-hmm. Is the is the roster official enough to where like can I can I read the roster the roster out loud? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for the the CSU fans wondering, it's gonna have Emmanuel Amagbo, Andy Ogade, Che Bob, Brian Austin, one of the non-CSU players, JJ Avila, John Dawson, again non-CSU player. Prentice Nixon, Jeremiah Page, Javante Douglas, the final non-CSU guy, and Chris Martin. So a, a nice mix of, you know, bigs and guards, I think, that have come through. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really interested, especially to see 
kind of how like Prentice Nixon and, and JJ Avila mix two guys that right. stood out during their respective eras, but mm-hmm. you've got a lot of guys that can really put the ball in the, in the basket. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, you know, you want to, you know, TVT thing is it's all scoring pretty much. I mean, <laughs> you know, you got to be able to hit at least eight. I mean, that's just the game in general today. You got to make at least eight, nine threes to have a chance to win. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wanted to make sure I covered that part of it, have enough guys with that shooting capability and print, you know, print played well last year. You know, he had, he went to, Winch- they played Wichita state, man. He had like 21, 22 points, you know, at Wichita state, you know, that's like a home game for the aftershock team, you know, <laughs> And he went in, man. He he had a phenomenal game, for instance, you know. So he has that experience, the pedigree of knowing what it takes. You know, he's scored in that environment, so it won't be, you know, too big, too small, uh, too big for him. And then the rest of the guys, uh, JJ played as well. A few of them have already played, so they know what, you know what it comes with. So it's now adding, you know, guys around them that have that kind of mindset of, you know, by any means necessary, you know. And Brian, you know, he's playing at Hong Kong right now. I actually played with him at the end of my career, start of his career, you know. And, uh, you know, he just has that approach. And he's kind of a a swing three who can play some point. He can play some two. You know, he can guard a four sometimes. So he kind of gives you that variety guy that can just, you know, be like a Swiss Army knife. You know, if, if somebody get in foul trouble, I need him to play the one. He could play the one. He played the one when I would go out the game, you know, on our on our team back when we played. And he's six six, you know. So you know, we would just put him at the one and you know invert the offense, and he would pass it, go post up, and run everything through him through the post. Yeah. You know, so he brings that that type of thing. But you know, with the TBT, I feel like it's also, you know, you got to be able to throw some kind of junk defenses at other teams. You know, kind of mix it up, I feel like, here and there. 2-2-1, two, two, you know, boxing 2-3, you know, boxing 1, you know. Just yeah, just try and catch him off, get him off the rhythm a little bit. Get him off guard, get him off rhythm, and see who can be adaptable while still staying in a certain scheme and game plan. But you, have to, you also have to have intelligent guys that can do that. You know, I feel like these group of guys, you know, you know they'll be able to pick that up easily because obviously all of them are still playing right now, you know, literally all of them, you know. So mm-hmm. is, is there an awkward dynamic at all in terms of, you know, like with a professional club, there's, you know, somebody who's constructing the roster, you know, or like, you know, like a general manager of, of some sort. And mm-hmm. there's kind of that clear defined relationship. And I guess there is still in this instance, but you know, it's not like being at school where it's like, that's the coach and he has all the power. Like you guys are, closer to equals or at least it, it would seem that way mm-hmm. do you is it like a different coaching style i guess or, or do you notice that guys are just like you want to know what like he's the coach it doesn't matter you know that the authority isn't necessarily there like they could walk out but that would be their decision exactly and then they're professional guys you know um you know i think you know playing and being able to relate to them as players and making sure they understand, you know, it's about them, you know? I mean, uh, ESPN cameras are here to see them, you know? Like, I'm not I'm not playing, you know? <laughs> I'm just yeah. on the side, you know? So I'm, I'm there to assist. And as long as they understand that part of it, they'll be fine. Because they actually, they already know how to play, you know? Uh, it's my job to steer them in the right direction, make sure they see everything clearly, 
and we're keeping up to speed mentally what the what the teams in the game is throwing at us. And if we can do that, you know, they'll be fine again because they're, you know, all high level players. Yeah. You know, they're used to being in today's game, especially more so. Now, if it was back then, my era, totally different. But the way they play today, it's like open gym anyway. It's more freelance, positionless. There's no positions. You know, it's all motion offense, ball movement. It's not very many plays, a bunch of pick and rolls, dribble handoffs, stuff like that. So, I mean, they'll be used to it right away, you know, as far as like how I understand that I need to handle them as a group because I don't want to coach them like it was my era. Mm-hmm. And I That was my problem in the G League. Like I had to let go of my era, you know what I mean? <laughs> and coaches always say, this is a whole different era. And we would have that every day in meetings. Push it out the back because we all played. Joe played at North Carolina in the 80s, you know, uh, so he's that same mindset. But again, it's their time. It's their, you know, the way they play, their style of play. So we either have to adapt or become dinosaurs, you know. So as long as I reiterate that to them, you know, making them understand like, you know, it's it's you, you, your guys' style. You know, we're not going to deviate from that. You know, we're going to make sure that the floor is space open. You can attack, penetrate, drive and kick. And then from there, just read and react and make good, smart plays. Mm-hmm. I understand that it's it's kind of hard to compare contextually different, just like leagues. Like it, it's hard to compare like March Madness to the NBA playoffs, to like European playoffs, to tournaments. Like they're all different types of scenarios. But mm-hmm. from, a, from a talent perspective, you've seen basketball played at, you know, just about every level. Mm-hmm. What what is the talent level like in TBT? I mean, is it you know on par with some of these pretty good leagues in in Europe? You know, is it like the G League esque, not quite there or better? You know, just like it's how good is is the talent in this field? I mean, I would say it's on par with the G League. It's like right there, you know. And obviously, because you have a a ton of G League players, you know, that play in it, a ton of high level players from overseas that play in it. Then you have NBA guys that play in it, you know, like the the Ohio State team. You know, they got Jerry Sullinger and all those guys. You know, what I mean, I mean, the depth is crazy on some of these teams, man. You know, when they go back and pull a lot of these guys out of either retirement or, you know, from overseas to play. You know, obviously at these bigger schools like Ohio State, Syracuse, man, they got the list can go on forever. For yeah, an the alumni, alumni base you have. They got a waiting, yeah. they got a waiting list to play on their teams, you know what I mean? So um, the talent is right up there. And then you got great coaches that coach in it, you know, like um, a guy at Memphis, um, uh, Cody, he coached uh, one of the teams. I can't think of the team name, but he's the assistant at Memphis. You know, for instance, you know, you got G League coaches that coach in it, you know. So it's a very, very high talent pool because a lot of players that's playing now overseas in France, Italy, Spain at the highest level who – really they're on par with the G league level or borderline NBA guys. They're coming back and they're playing, you know? So it's right there on par with the G league. I would say for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that, uh, the overseas elite team, they won it like, oh. well, like three or four times now. Yeah. I mean, you look at their roster. I mean, that, come on, man, that's a G league team. That's G league are right under the NBA type of team <laughs> with all the guys that they had, you know, on their team, man, all high level guys that play, I mean, once you play in Spain, Italy, places like that at yeah. the highest level, then obviously, you know, 
you're like right on on the border of making the NBA anyway, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Were there any CSU guys that you guys reached out to that are that weren't interested or are going to be competing for other teams? And they were just like, hey, I'm already like committed to this group. Yeah, Greg Smith, you know, Greg was that's uh, what I he was the one guy I was wondering because he played really well last year. Yeah, he he was going to play with us. But then um, he said the schedule conflict uh, was the reason why, you know, he chose to play with Creighton. I think he plays with uh, Creighton, the Blues Crews. Um, so I think, you know, his wife is pregnant in the dates that we play. I guess it didn't work, you know, for what they have going. And I told him I totally 100 percent understand it, you know. So next year, you know, he'll definitely hop on with us. Um, and so he he's probably the only one him and Stanton. You know, Stan said he, you know, he chose not to play this year. Uh, I think it's Gain. I think I said it. Yeah, Gain. I think Gain. Um, I think he's injured. Oh, Gian? Gian Covell? Yeah, yeah he's yes, hurt. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. He's injured right now. Has some going on with his knee. Yeah, uh, him and Nico Carvacho were, were the injured guys. So I kind of figured they would couldn't make it work. But yes, yes. But I and, and the thing is, I told Nico, you know, I. I don't know if I really want to take a chance because he may be back by that time. Yeah, but, but you that'd be yeah. Yeah. I'm like, no, nah, just just, I just focus on playing. You know, yeah. this is not, you know, we there's always next year. You know, we don't want you to come in, you're fresh off the injury, you know, you're playing hard, and then something else ends up ha- end up happening. So especially uh, when there's no guarantee. Like it's one thing once yeah. you've got that contract and it's like, yeah. you know, they're paying you whether you play the rest of the season or not, but you guys, yeah. you know, will hopefully win the money, but you never know. You never know. And that was my, so what we're going to do is um, this year he may help on the coaching staff a little bit and be That's a cool. part of that side of it, you know, because when he finishes, he wants to start into coaching. Yeah. And again, this is the beautiful part of creating it because now there's a structure for when the guys graduate you know, a guy like Chris, who's not maybe getting a ton of looks to play pro right now, you know, so now you, you know, playing TBT, you're playing with other high level professionals, the eyes are on you guys, we make a win a couple games, you know, now I can also vouch for you, you know, see your work ethic in practice. And that's also what they get with me, they get a scout, a Chinese scout, right firsthand. So I'm in the practice and I can send everything to my Chinese agency. So they also get it's like they get a multitude of things with me just by myself, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the G League part of it. I'm also still coaching in the G League. So going forward, I can, you know, look at all the guys for that overseas. So, um, and I look at that and I, that's how I want to be available to them. You know, another reason of creating it, you know, I know I can help some of the guys who don't um, have those opportunities like I didn't have. You know, you come out and you're looking and you're wondering what you're going to do. All you know is that you want to play pro, but how do I go about it? You know, now the guys that graduated CSU, now we have a whole filter system. You play there, come play here, and then you move forward. You know, all right, you know, if I can't get you to look, I know a ton of people, you know, we can find some for you. Or now you're networking with the, the pool of players that we got playing. You know, so a lot of things are happening, you know, as we put the team together, that's going to be good for the guys, you know. Is the biggest difference between now and and when you were trying to become a pro just the the amount of opportunities there are to kind of be visible i mean whether obviously the internet is is huge just you know because you can get the the film out but Mm -hmm. i mean there's you know just more events like this you know tbt and i know the the g league's been a thing but it's more viewable now like i just feel like 
leagues other than the NBA get significantly yes. more attention than they ever did when I was growing up. I agree. And, you know, when I first came out in 04, there was no G League. You know, there was, you know, it was it was the D League and then it stopped, you know, for a while. And then That's it right. It, yeah, I forgot. It, it wasn't yeah. a thing for a while and then they brought it back. Yeah, they brought it back. Yeah, it stopped for a couple of years. And, you know, I'll give you another story. Like when I first started trying to go overseas, like I was sending VHS tapes overseas <laughs> you know what I mean? like in 2004. Hoping that it gets there. Hoping that it gets there. I'm literally praying like and it takes two months just to half the season for the coach to even get the tape, right? Yeah. So I'm sending VHS tapes out, whereas now I couldn't imagine having that at my disposal to be able to make videos of myself, put them online and be able to shop myself like the guys can today. You know, it makes the process a lot easier, but at the same time, it's more competition. It's, it's still pretty hard, you know, for the guys to get the look. So um, I always say, you know, the more ways you can find opportunity to do so, the better, you know, and I feel like this is definitely a, a, a great way for the guys to have more opportunity. Mm -hmm. Totally, man. I'm, I'm stoked. You know, I got to cover a lot of these guys that, you know, the ones that played at least in the last half decade and, I'm excited for them. I'm, I'm excited that they get this opportunity. And, you know, just as a, as a CSU alum and somebody that enjoys high-level basketball and this event, I'm stoked that there's finally a Rams team. You know, there's there's been a CU team. You know, I'm watching guys yes. I, you know, cheered for play for other schools. And I'm like, right. come on, like, we got to get, we got to get these Rams out here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I agree. I've seen a couple guys playing. And, you know, as I say, I was like, man, you know, well, I have the time, you know, let's put it together while I have the time uh, and be can be available to do so because it's, it's very time consuming getting everything in line, you know, yeah. and putting together everything from ground up, especially right now in the beginning stages, you know. Um, but, you know, once it's up and it's running, you know, I feel like, you know, it's going to be beautiful to guys. So that's kind of my motivation for it. Mm -hmm. So when does... When do like the the games begin, and then you know what? How how's practice going to work, and you know how frequently do you guys get to work together? Um, that's all on us as far as the practices go, but as far as like when everything gets started, so there's a process to TBT. So right now in the beginning stages, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build up a big following, you know, because that's how they select you know the teams. It's based upon your following, your backing, you know, everything you got behind you, stuff like that. So right now, in the beginning stages, we're just putting everything together, growing uh, the backing, the eyes on it. And then April 1st is when the selection show happens. No, the registration period opens up. I'm sorry. So registrations open up. We put everything in. And then I think another week or so, maybe two, three weeks after that, that's when the selection show happens. So okay. then they look at the, the committee, looks at all the teams, look at your backing, look at your Instagram, look at your ID. So... Make sure everybody go follow that <laughs> and like those because that's a big, big piece of it. You know, they go and they look at, you know, everything you have behind you and they say, oh, man, they have a great following. They have a great organization that they put together and they built. It'll be productive for the TBT to bring in. So then they bring you in, they pick you like that. So hopefully we can grow it and uh, get enough following backing for everything. And, you know, we'll be in. It's looking good, though. The, uh, the social handles, go follow at RamUpTBT on both Twitter and Instagram. We got to help get the word out if we want to see these guys competing in the tournament. Derek, this was amazing. Thank you so much for, for giving me your time. And, and it, was, it was a blast to hear about your career and, and all of this. 
I, I do want to ask you one thing before I let you go, though, because mm-hmm. at, at the very beginning of this podcast, you talked about how important it is for you know these universities to kind of create a culture where it's it's welcoming back, you know, for the the people that helped build it, and that's something that Nico Medved has has talked a lot about these last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten to know this current staff at all? Is that you know a, a something that you can see happening at CSU that you know kind of makes you happy as a guy that used to play there? Um, you know, I, I feel like that's huge when you're trying to build you know a culture of winning. You know, I want to say that you know because if you haven't won, and guys before you have won, you know, it surmises that you kind of consult with them to see the process and understand the process, which is why most teams are compelled with older and younger players, right? You know, you have the older players there to kind of season the young ones to give them the, the advice and the experience about what they went through. So when they get to that stage, they can take it and pass the knowledge on as well. So you create a pipeline, so to speak, of players and players passing knowledge. You know, um, I don't really know uh, anybody on the staff per se. I'm just starting to get to know a few of the, uh, the coaches. Uh, so that's been good. Um, I've been disconnected, you know, like all of, you know, guys back when I played have, you know, if you talk to any guy back with, when I played, you know, they'll tell you they don't know anybody from CSU, which is amazing to me, you know? Yeah, we uh, got to fix that. Yeah, I, I, I totally don't understand. And I'm like, how is that possible? You know, especially since, like I said, you know, we actually won and I feel like, you know, the little bit that we could offer as far as that understanding goes, as far as going through the process of getting to that point, you know, you, I would say you're supposed to squeeze it out. Right. You know, and take advantage of it. But for, for some reason, they, they don't. Um, I haven't figured it out yet. I'm determined to, as I get down next week for alumni weekend, talk to the coaches. I was going to say, I, I guarantee you once, if you voice some of this to some of the coaches that are currently on staff, mm-hmm. some of the coaches that were here in the past, I can't say the same thing for, but this current staff, I, I think they will help establish that. Cause I mean, like, like we said, it's the only team in mountain West history, you know, CSU did some stuff when they were in the whack way back in the day, but mm-hmm. and you know, we're, two plus decades now of being in the mountain West. It's the only championship. So that's something we gotta, we gotta be proud of and we gotta recognize. Mm -hmm. And I mean, especially like now to me, the team now, it would be greatly beneficial to them because they're right at the doorstep. You know, they had a great year to going into the Mount West tournament, but winning those three games in a row, you know, it's all about what do you have left? You know, um, if you, you can do all that during the regular season, and then you get to these three games and then you get mentally fatigued and then now you go home, you know, and, it, and it's and it's understandable because they've had success all season long, you know. But that, again, to me, I, as I thought about it the other day, I was like, man, that's what makes Duke so amazing, you know, because they can have a 27 win, two loss season and still win a national They'll go out and win the ACC, come yeah, out and make a run in the tournament. And yeah. then go make a run in the and don't miss a beat. You know, it has to be because of the culture and the expectation, you know, everything that's been built and ingrained in that program. And then the players is taking on and embody it. And I look at the disconnect now in our program and I'm like, man, we got to fix that. So then we get the understanding and we pass it, you know, down from, you know, culture to coach. I mean, player uh, team to team, I should say, you know, so that we, we can start to move in the right direction yearly. 
you know, because it's all about having continual success, you know, and they've had two decent years, two good years now, you know, so now how do you take that next step? And to me, if you look at our year, like I said earlier, you know, we were bad, you know, we were bad at the beginning and it wasn't that we were bad. We just weren't winning. We didn't yeah. have the pedigree. And then we figured it out as time went forward, you know, so, but going into those last three games, as this team is getting ready to do, they need to hear it from guys who actually been there and been in that fire and, and looking around like, okay, there's no tomorrow. But what does that mean? It means, do you have one more stop left, one more rebound, one more big shot? Like as Roddy is the best player, Brian hit the big shot to win against UNLV. We were down by, it was 60, 61 with seven seconds. Brian hit the baseline shot. He had one more left. So it comes down to, do you have one more and then one more after that? You know, one more rotation, one more stop. You can't get mentally fatigued. So the, 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 the tail of the tape is left is yet to be determined with them. But again, these are the stories that they could hear, that they could get from us. So then they go into it and understand, okay, when it comes down to the last two minutes, which I'm sure their coaches are telling them to a certain degree, but coming from as a group, us going through it, I feel like it would hit a little different. You know, if you ask me, mm-hmm. I think you're right, man. And like I said, I'm gonna. I know, I know some people around campus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and get some of these wheels in motion. We gotta try and get some of you guys back on on campus and just around. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think in general it's something that's been missing from basketball, from football. It's it's a very similar complaint. Um, so I, to be honest, I think this is probably an, an issue that's pretty common on, around CSU athletics. So I think we just kind of gotta, you know, get it back, get it back going the right way. Get some of these guys back on campus. Like I said, though, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this TBT stuff. Anything that I can do to help raise the profile of the team, you know, never, never hesitate to reach out. And, you know, hopefully we can get you on the pod and stuff once the, the games start, you know, assuming that everything goes to plan and it's mm-hmm. going to be a blast. Definitely, definitely. I agree. Like I say, I'm excited to bring something new to the fans. You know, the team is playing well. Uh, you know, as we can see, we have a couple of former guys that are doing well you know, outside of, uh, well, in their pro careers. And I feel like it's just exciting, you know, to bring them back and let the community see them, you know, and sort of say their full glory, right? You know, they're playing professionally. Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. You know, so I feel like it'd be good for them to see that, see those guys, you know. Mm -hmm. I just think, you know, with a, a lot of the guys that have graduated in the last 10 years, just due to social media with a lot of them already, you know, the fans were already following them and then they, you know, they just keep following the social. But, you know, I think with a lot of these guys like you, you know, that played 15, 20 years ago, it's just, you know, it's easy to be out of sight, out of mind, especially, you know, as the years move on, you know, the players add up and then all of a sudden you look back and you just realize, you know, like guys like you and Matt Nelson and Michael Morris. And it was just like, and there were some, there were some dudes that came through here that, that weren't yeah. just Jason Smith. Yeah, yeah. And it's easy, you know, look at <laughs> look at Jason. I mean, you know, we don't have... Very... And he's great. You know, that's not me, like, taking a shot no, at no, him. I, you know, the I, only sustained NBA guy the last exactly. 20 years. Exactly, exactly. And you, you have to give him his credit for that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I always say, you know, you can have individual success and then you can have team success. And then there's the overall success of winning a championship winning a conference title and then going on to the NCAA and making a run. 
And, you know, we, Nelly was supposed to go to the NBA. He didn't make it because his knees, he had bad knees. Um, but as a team success, I feel like we reached the goals, so to speak, you know. Um, and that's tough because I thought about these guys now and I'm like, man, you know, you go through the whole season, great season, 24 wins, you know, 23, 24 win season. And if you don't get there or win the conf, like, you know, my West tournament, you don't win the three games or you don't win the conference, then you just won a lot of games. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it was like last year they won what, like 22 games, 20 games but they were yeah. the second team left out of the tournament. And that's exactly. But this year they'll, they'll go to the tournament, but it's just in order to get hardware, a ring or, you know, like you have to do one of those things, you know, <laughs> and that makes it so tough, you know, so, so tough, you know, uh, but again, you know, I'm hoping for the best for them, you know, as they make this march into that tournament, you know, um, I don't think it'll change their success as a season, as a team. You know, I've watched them and I enjoy watching them. And I'm very hard to impress because I like got teams that play defense, teams that are tough, teams that are scrappy, and they embody all of those things, you know. And along with having Roddy, he's, he's just fun to watch, man. You know, I just like the way he play, like the way he carries himself. You know, he seems to like the role that he's in yeah embraces it you know being the better the best player on the team and making big plays and like the other night against wyoming you know i didn't we didn't get to watch the game because they had providence on the whole time you know (laughs) my dad was so pissed man he's like i'm like at the arena i'm trying to cover the game and i keep looking down and i just got more it's going to double overtime it's going to freaking triple overtime he uh he was furious yeah i was so frustrated so so frustrating. I don't understand how we can't get that right. Like I know it's TV contracts and like stuff that's way over my head, but the NFL has figured this out where to like they can at least switch it in the home markets. Mm-hmm. And I know that wouldn't have even necessarily helped you like being in Albuquerque, it's but th- the fact that you know like everybody in Colorado couldn't watch this or you know in Wyoming like that makes no sense to me. No, I was I was sitting at the TV because I came home early just to watch the game. You know. <laughs> beeline get home and then i'm watching the providence game and i'm like you have got to be kidding me i was so mad there's not even a providence (laughs) alum within a thousand miles of these states (laughs) i mean i know there i'm sure there's one but you guys know what i mean yes 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 i was so frustrated because of that but um that was a great game too and then they switched in to to the csu game and thankfully the guys pulled it out you know um again you know you had big play from jacobs and you know, they just have a great team, man. I just enjoy it. And I hope I hope nothing but the uh, success going forward for the guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I, I almost went into another line of question. I was like, don't do it. It's like you you're going to keep this guy I'm, all day. I'm, fine. I'm, I'm completely fine. Ask away. All right. I got one more for you. Just on, on that Chandler Jacobs subject. As a, you know, as a guy who started his career, you played Juco. He played D2. Mm-hmm. how hard is it or I guess like how impressive is it that he has been able to come into this team you know it's he has one year of eligibility it's a one and done he's been able to I not just identify a role and like fulfill it yes. but like occasionally be the go-to guy when they need it but like he can kind of like go back and forth that that mm-hmm. doesn't seem easy to me it is it is not easy and I look at him do it beautifully you know again that's why I like you know, the, the team and the guys, you know, because those things that you mentioned, I can right away see, you know, and I know how hard that is to do, you know, to be a starter at one at one time, score 15 points and then maybe score five, yet still play defense, 
still be there for the team, not have a negative body language, things like that. Like I look at their body languages and their body language tell me most everything. I don't even need to be there coaching. I can just tell that they're good guys, the way they carry themselves. They come out of the game. They seem to be pretty uh, mild mannered, even mannered, even killed. Yet they get on the court and they still have that toughness that they need to win games as a unit. And um, I just I really appreciate watching it. And again, to go back to what you're saying about uh, about Jacobs, I mean, it, that is so hard. Like people have no idea. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like people that are like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, the, the guy came in, he only played four minutes. He took three shots and he missed them all. And it's like, do you know how hard it is to be the guy that hasn't played in 20 minutes and just comes in and you have to in rhythm in game, just hit yeah. shots because those are yeah. the only shots you're going to get. Yes. Yes. And that's why, again, that's why I always say, you know, when it comes to coaching and everything, this is where playing always, I always feel like benefits you as a coach, right? Because then you can have that perspective of when a guy's going through that, and then you can relay and talk to him, uh, you know, from your journey, your perspective, or maybe even one of your other teammates' perspective who went through something that he's going through similarly, yeah. you know, which is that's what makes me relish in, in coaching role is because, you know, I love taking, you know, from either my background or my teammates' background and helping and inspire these guys to continue to thrive in their roles now, you know, because the worst thing you can feel is like you're the only one in history that's going through that particular thing, right? I'm the only one in the whole country. That's, going <laughs> <laughs> that's how you feel, right? Yeah. We get to tell them the guys our stories and, you know, a little like, like we've done a little bit today, tell them some of my story about, you know, being in this position in this spot and not scoring and then being in a scoring role. You just have to embrace it if you want to be a winner. You know, winning is about mentality. Basketball is 90% mental, you know, so once the mind goes and everything else is just going to follow behind it. And I watch the guys, man, they do a beautiful job of staying in that 90%. And I can just see them operate, see them think, see them work their way through the game. And then they add the grit and the grind to it. You know, they do it beautifully. And like I say, I, they're a joy to watch. And I'm very hard to impress when it comes to team play. And, you know, they they do a good job of it, man. And, and so does Jacobs, to go back to what we were talking about. He, that is so hard in one year to get the productivity that he's been getting, you know, giving to the team. Mm -hmm. Normally it takes one, two years, you know, to even find that role. Like you say, oh, okay, now I have it. But with him, it's adapt. His adaptability is amazing. The other night, 20 points, 18, 20 points. That's what you need me to do. I'm going to give it to you. That's the sign of a great player. Then one night you may not know he was there, but then he's guarding, doing all the little things. Like at Boise State, he had a tremendous game on the road at Boise State. You know, and that's very, very hard to do. Yeah, he and scored the final, like, five points in regulation and then mm -hmm. six and over. Like, he's just been mm -hmm. a stud. He, okay, so you're a guy, you're a scout, obviously. Mm -hmm. He's a pro player, right, somewhere? Yes, definitely, definitely. They have a few guys that I feel like, you know, can play pro. And not, the thing is, like I say, for me, it's all about intangibles. I'm a very, very, very big intangible guy. Just watching the small things, how you carry yourself, your temperament, because that tells me you can go into any team and do what Jacobs is doing. You know, he can play on any team. It's not going to really matter much, you know, because of his makeup as an individual, his yeah. composure, the way he carries himself. You know, he's a puzzle piece. Plug him in here. He can do that for you. You need him to play defense and be a role guy. He can do that for you. So that's a great sign because he goes overseas and – 
he can be the same puzzle piece for a team. You know, I can add, you know, a little scoring. I can guard the best guy for you. So, you know, he can do very, very well, you know, playing overseas for sure. And maybe even in the G League, you know, um, you know, you improve in certain areas because he'd have to be more of a pick and roll player in the G League. You know, it changes at the pro level. You know, and I tell the guys that you have to be phenomenal in pick and roll. When you go into the NBA, your pick and roll reads and stuff like that has to be. Is it just because there's so much length? Like if you can't do that, like you're not going to have space to to create the shots you can at the collegiate level? Yes, 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 yes. And I mean, you know, the pick and roll is, is the most simple playing basketball. And so at that level, you know, with all the space, you know, it just gives you a ton of options when the guard turns the corner, you know, because in the NBA, you can't play zone. So yeah, now I'll kill you, you if you go zone. Oh, man. You know, but now they put you in middle pick and roll. The whole zone, the whole back line is free. It's not like college. You know, in college, they're able to slide over and just stand there. You know, that's why they don't run pick and roll and stuff like that a lot more because the back line is already just standing there. That so makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But in the NBA, they come around. Like Chris Paul is there. <laughs> How are you going to guard Chris Paul like that? That's why they still can't guard him in his old age because he comes around a pick and roll. There's no backline defense. So it forces that big to have to really make a decision. And what they do now in the NBA is they play a lot of drop defense. If you if you watch the bigs, and I totally hate it. You know, they just stand back at the free throw line mm-hmm. and a guard like Chris Paul just dribbles up and shoots. I'm like, he going to make 75 of those shots, you know, if you don't come up. And you don't put some pressure on the uh, on the ball or play the line of the screen, right? You know, you play the line of the screen, you make him change directions, make him hunker down over the ball a little bit better, stuff like that. But when you don't do somebody like Chris Paul like that, I'm like, wow. The chances of you stopping him are slim to none, you know? Um, it's like a matter of him. Like, did he slip and mess up his yes, release or something? That's all it was. money. That's all it is, you know? And sometimes, you know, they get so caught up in being uh, calculated about the reads. You know, Chris Paul will just be doing stuff sometimes and then he'll overread, overanalyze. Like he'll snake the lane. If you see him snake the pick and roll, now he's just dribbling low. He's just really doing cone drills, basically, almost, you know, practicing the things that he practiced and practiced. And he'll, like you say, you bobble the ball every now and then and somebody will get to it. But when he get locked in and just focus on the read and react and make it simple, it's next to impossible to stop, you know. But again, to all the college guys, I always encourage them, like, you have to be great in handoff situations, pick and roll situations, and pin down situations, you know, because that's all the offenses are now. Mm-hmm. I know this is a bit, a bit of hyperbole because Chris Paul is one of the greatest NBA point guards of all time. Yes. But that is a comparison that Isaiah Stevens has drawn just with kind of the way he's a floor general can can create at all levels of the floor, you know, can there's a couple spots on the floor where it's just like, if Isaiah wants to get there and get that jumper up, it's, he's going to do it. He might not hit it at the same rate that that Chris Paul does, but he he has that type of control to where it's just like, Mm -hmm. he can get anywhere he wants at any point, no matter how big you are, no matter how small you are, how fast you are. I 100% agree, man. And, um, Again, you know, he's been great to watch, man, and just seeing his composure, you know, his control, you know, he doesn't turn it over as much, you know. Um, yes, the, the things that you said as far as shot making in the middle, you know, obviously, you know, he has to continue to improve on those things and that that deep three, you know, because all it is is deep threes and layups now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're slowly starting to let a, a little mid-range come back in now, you know. But if you really watch NBA – 
they've taken the middle game out and made it about rim finishing and distance threes. I get that from like from a numbers perspective, it it makes the most sense. But yes, I will say as just somebody that grew up in the in the Nuggets era that I did and loved, you know, a young Carmelo Anthony, I have an affinity for the guys that are, you know, just deadly from all over. You know, he obviously became a better three point shooter as his career went on, but he was Mm -hmm. one of those dudes from 20 feet that was just going to kill you all game. And, and, you know, when you have all three and I argued. Be honest with you, Justin. I argued, and when we were in, the, when I was coaching in the G League, I argued with the staff because the Hornets did not want any of our players taking any mid-range shots. You know, we had Kobe Simmons. Kobe played at Arizona. He's our starting guard, and Kobe loves to pull up. Him and Joe Chili, they love to get to the mid-range, and Josh Perkins as well. They get in the middle, they shoot those shots, and a lot of them were, were two-way players. And the Hornets didn't permit those shots. And so every day, day in, day out, we would have to reconstruct their game to get them to be able to just get to the basket, finish, or you got to, you know, spray the pass or shoot the three. Come off the pick and roll, pull up for a three. I don't know how you're going to get there, but you had better not shoot that mid-range shot. That's all we know, because the Hornets would just look at that and they would just dock points off the guys as far as them coming, moving up. You know, and every day, day in, day out, we would have that, that, that debate. And, I, you know, we were losing. We were like 7 and, and 45 at one point. And it's just because we play against short, quick guards like Trayvon Waters. You know, Trayvon, you know, he comes in the game, him and Carson Edwards, and they have the way they play because they're small. They're more permitted to shoot more mid-range kind of. And yeah. they're, they're just dominant great players, so they have more control of things, right? Mm-hmm. So we play against them, face them, and they just dominate us because they have all three levels at their disposal. You know, once you add the mid-range piece in, now the guy's just hard to guard, you know, because you don't know if he's going to stop and pull up, get to the rim, or shoot a three. You know, now we take the middle piece out. We already know, man, force him to the layup, or he's going to take a wild three-pointer. You see what I mean? So now those quick guards who are, have high IQ like Trayvon, like, it was just so hard for Kobe, you know, because he's 6'5". You know, he's six. He's a 6'5 point guard. So now he doesn't have that pull up at his disposal. You got a little sharp piss under your under your ball, under your dribble. And he knows you're not going to take the three because Kobe doesn't want to shoot three. So he was forced to drive into the big and he always ended up with a low percentage and the Hornets would just knock him. And I was I was so adamant about to the coaches, just you have to let the guys play three level basketball. You know, I know that's the game today, but it's more unpredictable when a guy has his pull up at his disposal. You take that away, the middle area of the court, it's just too easy for those guys at that level to read you, you know? Well, and you, and like you see guys where it's in the flow, they're going to pull up and then Mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, I can't shoot this. And then they throw it out and and they throw it's a turnover or it's a horrible three point shot. And it's like, we just went from, you know, like an a look to like a D minus look at best because we're forcing ourselves to stick to these rules. Yes. And the analytics guys, we would argue with them. And, oh, man, they hate me. Our analytics guys, <laughs> they used to hate me, man, because we would have our debates. You know, they bring all the numbers and I bring the film. I'm like, OK, well, let me bring the film. You bring the numbers and everything else. And I'm going to bring the film and show you exactly what I mean. But it really is both, you know, because like I, I do value metrics. And I think that they can yeah. show us a lot of things that, you know, mm-hmm. we don't see or that our biases prevent us from from diving into. But also, like 
basketball isn't played on paper no. and it's you can predict it but it's not how it's going to go yes and you can't it's not showing you time and situation so it can't tell exactly yeah you know what i mean is that the paper may say don't shoot that because it's a 30 percent shot but in the fourth quarter time and situation open shot quality look you know we have to take and make that shot because you're not going to get very many open shots during that time because the defense is so ratcheted up that they're going to take just about every other good look from you. So now we're on the court passing down good looks, like you said, for a worse kickout look that y'all saying that's the better shot. Yeah. Time and situation. No, it's not. You know, Kobe can drive. He can get to just using him as an example. He could get to the free throw line. He can pull up. And I'm showing him that on tape. It's just now we stripped him of his confidence. And then now he he's started overthinking. Yeah. Now yeah. he's turning the ball over. He don't even know who he is. He played at Arizona. You wouldn't even know. He's like, yeah, he didn't play at Arizona. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I'm like, and I would tell him that every day. That would be my way of kind of trying to reinstill confidence in the guys. I'm just, remember who you are, man. Like, don't let this whole situation strip you down bare and just leave you out here, you know, naked with nothing. You know, you have, basketball is a game of confidence, you know. You have to have extreme confidence to play the game, and that's what got you this far. You know, so be confident. And do what you need to do, and so that would I would always reinstill that in them, and uh, you know, like again, we struggle because they didn't. They their goal is to make it to the NBA, so they're trying to do everything the NBA team says. Yeah, you know, so he would he would try his best. No, don't take the pull up, and so would all of our guards, you know, and and it just didn't work out for us because they just lost confidence, you know. Well, I think you see it in in all sports, you know, like. I cover football as well. And, um, you know, with quarterbacks, you know, they, you, you try and make them something that they're not. And all of a sudden, like they, they just, they lose what made them great in the first place. And it's, you know, that's, that's not good coaching to me. So I think yeah. you, you, you have to find the, the balance. I'm not anti-analytics. You know, you get some of these people are like, Oh, it's nothing. No, there's clearly inherent value in it. And teams like the warriors and stuff really embraced it and worked out pretty well for them. But yes. it just, it's all situational, like going to the, the football comparison, you know, people talk about it's like fourth and long. Do you punt it? And some people, you know, oh, you should never punt. And so some team, they go for it in a situation where we would have always punted in the past. And they don't get it. And you turn it over and the analytics guys are like, well, the numbers say it was right. So it was a smart thing to do. And I'm like, OK, well, maybe. But you just turn the ball over. So, exactly. you know, yeah. like you still have to play the game. You have to play the game. And my number one guy to go to to validate what we're talking about. Once I pull up Michael Jordan, like you cannot <laughs> say anything. You tell him you. that was the wrong shot. And, you, and I, that's what I told our analytics people. I had a whole film session on my computer of just all Jordan clips. And I say, so you're going to sit here and tell me out of the triangle, it was built in the middle of the court on the block, high post area. That's how the triangle offense was ran. It was ran from the middle parts of the court. So you're now telling me all of what Phil Jackson, one of the greatest basketball minds ever, he's just wrong. And what, that like was eight my titles. So only eight, yeah. Only you know Between what I'm the saying? two only teams. Yeah. Title, yeah. And um, you know, they were like, oh yeah, we understand it. And again, they understand it, you know, but they just want the game to be more entertaining, you know, the game to be up tempo, longer shots, the fans enjoy it, you know, getting to the rim, of course, that leads to more crazy Kyrie Irving type finishes, you know, around the basket. And I totally understand it from a marketing perspective and a fan's perspective, but 
you know, to me as a purist, you know, if you like watching the game, you'll love all aspects of it to me. You know, it's not like the ratings are any better. I think the ratings are getting worse, you know, as we look at, you know, some of the times that's been going on. Of course, there's a lot of things that play into that, you know, but again, you know, you look at the way Michael Jordan played the game and the way the game was played back then. And I'm very much a 90s basketball, 80s basketball guy. If anybody was wondering, oh, <laughs> I'm very much that type of guy. And, and I always look at it as a mixture now, you know, as I get ready to coach the guys. You know, um, I don't want to ever take anything from a player. You yeah. know, that's not my goal as a coach. You know, I want every player that I coach to be comfortable because I'm going to reinstill that in the in the guy. I'm not going to take confidence. You know, at least I'm not going into the situation trying to do so. You know, so mm-hmm. the one thing I wanted to say I didn't piggyback on was about training camp. Okay. Yeah. Yes, about training camp. So. Uh, right now, we have a tentative schedule for it. We're looking at trying to have uh, maybe four or five-day uh, training camp before the tournament, before the TBT starts, hopefully in Fort Collins. I still have to work out the details of that. Um, you know, the guys will fly in and we'll be in Fort Collins. And if that works out, then maybe we're tentatively looking at having a short scrimmage to where the fans could come in, everybody can come in, and they just they, the guys will just play. You know, you can get a feel for the guys, autograph session and stuff afterwards and talk to them and, you know, get that'd that be awesome. Yeah. You know, just getting the perspective of the guys and them being back in Fort Collins and in their gym and, you know, doing it again, man. <laughs> you know, something that they probably never, ever thought they'd be doing. Right. Good point. Hell, yeah. I, I haven't played in Fort Collins since I graduated. You see what I mean? Yeah. You know, so the guys will be there. They can, you know, fraternize with everybody, talk about the experience, you know, and of course, tell everybody what they're doing now, most importantly. Mm-hmm. Well, man, I, I, I think it's great what you're doing, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'd, I'd appreciate you allowing me to be a small part of this and just helping you get you know the word out. And you know, like I said, I hope everybody goes and follows at RamUpTBT on Twitter and Instagram. We got to help get the word out. And, and, and I'm looking forward to, to you getting back on campus for Alumni Weekend. That'll be great. Definitely, definitely, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. It's been it's been way too long, way way too long, you know. So uh, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it, and hopefully it's a great time. Mm-hmm. Peaches out of Palisades, sweet as mama's marmalade. This shit sound like summer days, the windows down on harmony. The family band sing harmonies, my daddy played the drums. My mama slapped that bass, my sister sang these songs. Dancing under canopies, we thank the trees for all their leaves. We are just some drops of water, together make up seven seas. And one day I'll be like my father, one day I will learn to breathe. I'm choking on the thought that I am not the man I want to be.